Welcome, everybody, to Broadcast Team Alpha, where we bring you cutting-edge, edge, edge conversation while exploring the quantum possibilities. And we're going to do it again tonight, and I think you guys are going to really enjoy our guest that Augie is going to tell you about. But first, I'd like to thank you for being here. Thank you for the lively chat that always goes on in the chat room. Thank you for your super chats. Thank you for your love and support. Hope you had great holidays. And, you know, for 2024, you might consider joining us over at The Mastermind Connection. It's a meeting that happens on Sundays at 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Augie likened it to a spiritual think tank. I liken it to a container for global manifestation. It's really fun. It's really relaxing. We do a beautiful visualization slash meditation for all of the wonderful things that we are helping to bring about in this new world. If you would like to join us, send an email to themastermindconnection at gmail.com. Augie will send you the link. You can come hang out with us. The second hour, if you want to stay, we have conversation or we watch a video and, uh, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff that you could find out about when you come but i don't want to take up any more time augie please tell us oh before i just want to do a shout out shout out to our friends over at the conscious awakening network so i want to let you guys know i'm going to be co-hosting over there for the month of january why because it is my favorite topic it is Health, Healing, and Well-Being Month. We're going to have uh, every Monday have a guest. And on the 27th, we're going to have a conference with really, really powerful guest speakers. So be sure to join us over there. And now, Augie, please tell us about our guest. Oh, yes, this is going to be fun. And um, we have a gentleman in here with us. Uh, it's David Adair, and he's a legend in his own time. <laughs> he's been a scientist, uh, at least studied science since he was about that tall, maybe around six, six years old. And uh, he was a child prodigy. At, at six years old, he, he was now playing around and running bicycles and stuff like other kids a lot. He was at the library reading science books at six years old. Now, that, that's kind of a little early. But at 17 years old, he built a supersonic rocket. Now, there, as most of us know, there's only two types of rockets, and that is the one with solid fuel and the one with liquid fuel. But he created another kind that has never been done before. And he, he's going to explain about that. And that rocket... That uh, caught the eye of the military, and they took him to Area 51, and he got introduced to some very powerful and very well-known scientists, and he's worked with the astronauts and the, the most prominent scientists in the world, and for the next hour, he's with us. So we're going to pick his brain, and welcome to the show, David. Uh, thank you. Glad to be here. Welcome, David. Wow. What a life you have lived. Wow. I know. So six years old, you're already dabbling into the unknown. How did that begin? I mean, how did it how did it actually take root? How did um how did you uh get traction from six years old to where you are now? Was there 
a oh, couple man. of things that yeah happened. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I was born in Welch, West Virginia, in District Ten of the Pocahontas Coalfields. Uh, my dad started out as a uh, coal miner. My grandfather, my mother's father, was the mine superintendent, and that's significant. That's like being a governor of the area. And he owned the company store. The old song, I owe my soul to the company store. Well, my grandfather owned it. (laughs) So um, he was very powerful and influential, obviously. But I went down to the local library, and I went over to the 600 section, which is all the technical books, calculus, physics, trigonometry, things like that. And I would pull a book out and I'd sit on the floor in the corner because I didn't want to take a chair because an adult might come in. And mm. they just, I mean, you're a child in 1954. Ain't got a whole lot to say. So mm-hmm. I'd be sitting in the corner reading and the librarian, Mrs. Hunt, came in. And she was mm. about 75 years old. And she was looking at me. She walked over to me and she said, are you reading them books? And I gave an answer, but it may have sounded sarcastic, but I didn't mean it. I said, well, there's no pictures in it, so I must be reading them. <laughs> she just looks at me and goes, hmm. And I thought, oh, God. So she asked me, how much of these books do you remember? I said, every single page and every single book. Wow. She said, well, how many have you read? All of them. The entire 600 division? Yeah, every bit of it. So she looks up and reaches over top of me and grabs a book and pulls it out, flips it open, and she says, on page 93, what does it say? I said, well, it would help to have the title. I'm not <laughs> I'm not clairvoyant. And I'm, yeah. she said, do you know the meaning of that word? I said, yeah, I, I, I read it. So mm-hmm. she said, uh, Singularities in the Entirety. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a good book. Um, Let's see, you're on page 93. Ah, you're at the event horizon. The event horizon is the name of the opening of the black hole. And anything going mm-hmm. into an event horizon could be stretched theoretically for millions of miles and still be intact. And she hooks wow. shut and she goes verbatim, word for word. So she puts it back on the shelf. She says, are you through reading the books? I said, well, I've read everything that's in here. Would you like to get another book? I said, I, I'm just six years old. You know, <laughs> people can't even order a book around this place. But she, she said, come back tonight at 8 o'clock. Have your mother bring you. So my mother took me to, back to the library at 8 o'clock. Mrs. Hunt pulled me up to the other girls. It was all girls. They were all librarians. And she said, David here is going to be our new librarian. Wow. <laughs> I am. So I became a librarian, and the one of the little uh, perks, you can order as many books as you want for free. Aww. So she said. What a gift. Yeah, she mm-hmm. said, order, she said, order away, but don't tell anybody, your family, mm-hmm. nobody about this. She said, I'll lose my job, and you'll be uh, ostracized. And you know that word. I said, yes, I do. <laughs> so I started ordering books, and I got everything that was written at the time on um, quantum physics, differential mechanics, uh, black holes, singularities, um, 
all that was available, and that wasn't a whole lot, but it turned out to be several hundred books. So I read them all, and I was looking at it, and there was another area of books that I ordered. And see, along with this is what we call theoretical science. Now, where it gets good is when you have to go from theoretical science to applied science. Applied mm -hmm. science is where somebody thinks something up, but they pull out the toolboxes, roll up their sleeves, and build the damn thing. And so I was able to do both. I had both theoretical and applied science capabilities. So I started reading applied science on uh, tutorial compressors, um, everything on nuclear energy you could imagine. So I combined the two, and then I realized I'm in a perfect position to start working with um, a different type of engine, as you would say. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't want to go liquid fuel. I didn't want to go solid propellant. They don't have the power I'm looking for. So what I did, I built an engine that I could detonate a nuclear chain reaction and contain it. And people go, wait a minute. <laughs> if I understand right, you're talking about you're going to detonate an H-bomb and contain it? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And he goes, well, there's no material on Earth that could withstand a H blast, you know? I said, well, you're right. It's not material. It's, uh, it's electromagnetic force fields. Well, wait a minute. How's that work? That's not possible. Oh, really? What in the hell is a black hole? It pulls up next to a sun, which what is the sun? Hundreds of millions of atomic bombs going off continuously, simultaneously. And the black hole pulls up next to it, sucks it in, it's gone. We don't ever see it ever again. So the black hole don't have any trouble containing it. So what are you talking about? You build an artificial black hole and detonate an H-bomb inside it and contain it. Electromagnetic fusion containment. That's the name of the engine. And I found out that uh, millennials can't handle that name for the engine. So they shortened it down in a really quite brilliant name. It's technically correct, but very short. They call it a star in a jar. That's exactly <laughs> what it that. is. It's a star that I artificially create, and I slam the atoms together through a very similar process to fusion reaction. Mm -hmm. Edward Teller came up with that. And, um, and so you detonate an H-bomb, and it's contained inside this field. Where I differ from everybody else on these fields, everybody's using, uh, I mean, everybody, NASA, uh, HARP, um, uh, Los Alamosis, um, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, everybody, they're using tutorial compressors. That one, that won't work. They only got half of the problem solved. It takes two combined together, and when you can combine them together, the two colloidal compressors, the, the a friend of mine, what's it look like? It, it looks like two octopuses having sex. And uh, all the different tentacles, at least 16 of them, they're interwrapping and interrounding, and that's how the plasma is flowed to set up the electromagnetic magnetic fields. Wow. And inside there, and, and once a figure eight turns sideways in mass, infinity. 
So this thing is chasing its own tail. It's an old ancient um, Chinese uh, legend. Let the dragon chase its own tail. And so it's always self-contained. And when I detonated the, uh, the isotopes, deuterium, and uh, there's some other isotopes, I can't release for proprietary reasons, but it will detonate. You contain the field, and um, and there you have it. Fusion containment. You have the power of the sun right there in front of you, and you can tap it at will through protobeams and through the plasma fields, and you can you got the power of the sun for a, a rocket engine. Imagine the power that's on that thing. Mm -hmm. well, I'll give you an idea. When I launched it on June 20th, 1971, at White Sands Proving Grounds, it's called Proving Grounds, not testing grounds like today, because we're going way back. Uh, back in 1971, I launched that rocket out of there, and <laughs> it, it left, and everybody thought it exploded on the pad because of a big explosion. Couldn't see anything leave. And I told everybody, I said, you're not going to be able to see this rocket leave. It's only got two speeds, off and wide open. <laughs> There's no way to throttle it. So it left, and everybody thought it blew up, but it didn't. And we found it at 125 miles altitude above us, and it was moving at Mach 37. Now, hmm. we're just barely getting to Mach 3 today, Mach 3. So I'm, I'm more than 10 times past this speed. You know, we're at Mach 37. I did 125 miles altitude in 3.2 seconds. The rocket was on fire when it was leaving. You know, when something comes back in the atmosphere at 5,000 miles an hour, it starts the uh, mercury capsules, the Gemini capsules, hollow capsules. All the capsules had ablated shields that would burn away, and they're on fire coming in. My rocket was on fire leaving. It was going so fast. The atmosphere could not get out of the way fast enough. So it got temperature, re-entry temperatures at ascension. That's mm. fast, y'all. That's, that's, it's mind-bogglingly fast. And really, this type of mechanism isn't even supposed to be launched from Earth. Yeah. It should be launched wow. out of a, a, a gravity field like L5, somewhere between the Earth and the Moon gravitational tides are neutral and you fire from there and oh man i mean you would be out of the solar system probably less than five minutes hmm. wow. that's that's nine billion miles so hmm. not too bad um but this thing could have went it, i just didn't have time <sighs> they went another way with it i i was one i was trying to build you not just a rocket engine. I'm trying to build you a power plant, a new type of energy source. You could set one of these reactors down and you could power an entire continent with it, with a piece of fuel that's no bigger than your thumbnail. Last 500 years. And mm. you know what? They just don't seem to like that idea. <laughs> they grumbled about a guy named Nikolai Tesla was a problem. So I guess I'm in good company. So anyway, uh, that's that's pretty much my story in a nutshell. But that's just the beginning because then they yeah. had, they had the rocket. Well, 
Let me uh, ask you this. When you gave them this technology, do you know what they have done with it? Or is there anything done with it? Um, nothing's really been done with it because uh, right before they pretty much kidnapped me at White Sands and took me to a place called Groom Lake, Nevada. That's the only name I knew it by, which uh, today y'all call Area 51. But when they took me to Groom Lake, I called my dad and told him to light his pipe and take it easy. That was a code that we had talked about earlier. So when I told him to light his pipe, he went out to the lab and he burnt everything I ever created. Burnt all the models, all the drawings, all the blueprints, everything, uh, prototypes. So when the dark SUVs showed up, all they found was an irate drunk man in the backyard with a bunch of smoldering ash and so all of that was gone then i just had to blow away my only prototype up on the desert floor of uh, groom lake once i got that done which i did get it done um then the only thing left is what's in my head i can mm. take myself out which is not going to be that hard um then you've got nothing to work with that's why you have they've only got half the only half of the um of the design right they need the other half and uh mm. they haven't got a clue what i'm talking about but <laughs> that's their problem now, now you have also developed several other projects like the i know you're on one of the videos you talk about seven projects that you have developed maybe right. you can mention some about those and one particularly that both nori and i are really interested in that is the the space hospital yeah, see, that's people think it'd take a thousand years to build something like that. No, it, we've already went past it. Do you know when a space shuttle got to the edge of space, do you know what the orbiter, which is uh, what you call the space shuttle, it has to push down on the external tank. So the external tank will drop on into the atmosphere, get slowed up by the atmosphere, and then breaks up on reentry and sinks to the ocean in the Indian Ocean, and it's gone. I wouldn't do that with mine. With my shuttles, I would have the orbiter, the space shuttle, get away from the external tank, let the external tank take its own trajectory in simple Newton laws. An object in forward motion will continue on a forward motion until acted upon by an external force. Uh, so opposite in reactions. Simply put, the external tank would float right on into low Earth orbit, and I'd park it there. Mm -hmm. And then I, every time we launch on a mission, we take the external tanks and we shoot them over to uh, a stockpile area. And when I get 13 of them, um, we put them in a circle that would be one-third mile in diameter, and they had to have all kinds of special connections at each end uh, to allow them to hook on together. But I would do that on the ground with Martin Marietta, and that's called um, scourge. And that's something that NASA refuses to let anybody do to the space shuttles. So um, I get 13 of these things built. They're in a one-third mile, one mile diameter loop. Then I run two more through the center, and the two in the center will remain weightlessness. The you take hydroxine motors and spin the whole thing until you get it to a speed of 1G gravity field. So when you step out into the outer ring, 
you would feel the same gravity as Earth. That's where you build all your living quarters, yeah. food, exercise, all that stuff, entertainment. And then in the center is where you have all your labs, and they be in a weightless environment. So you wake up in the morning, you have slept in a gravity field, so your heart and your lungs and your muscles are all in good shape. Then you get mm-hmm. into the weightless environment chambers, and this whole thing would be a space hospital. And mm-hmm. people go, well, why would you want a hospital up there? Oh, God. You got a few days, it'll take me that long uh, to tell you how many projects could be done up there. But the pharmaceuticals and the ER rooms would be just unbelievable, be enough by themselves. But I would have... Sign me, sign me up to work there, please. <laughs> well, for instance, let's say... Oh, yeah. One more one more thing. Uh, you're going out of focus. Maybe you could be a little closer well, to Well, the... I'm getting ready to say, let's say that you're in a car crash, a house fire. Mm. Now your body burns, second, third degree burns 90% of your body. Well, most of the time people die from that. Mm-hmm. But what they would do, they would put you in a med capsule into a med shuttle. The med mm. shuttle would go on up to the hospital. You wake mm-hmm. up and the first thing you notice you have no pain without any drugs. How is that possible? Amazing. Because when you burn your finger here on earth, you can feel your hot heart throbbing in the burn of your blisters. Yeah, uh, That will not happen in space. There's no blood or no gravity for the blood to fight against. So the cardiovascular system and the epidermis level of your skin aren't having to fight gravity. So you won't feel that heartbeat. And more than that, there won't be enough electrical signals carried through that for you to feel pain. So a burning massive burn victim laying there with no pain, that, that's a good... The, that's the unheard of. But that's just that's a start. What's the number one killer of a massive burn victim? Infection. The cleanest hospital room on earth here would look like a pig pen compared yeah. to vacuum chambers of an ER room on a space mm-hmm. hospital. Yes. So you don't have to worry about infection. And then something else happened. They, we learned from 1974 and 75 on board Skylab that performed 5,000 experiments that practically nobody can tell me what the experiments are about. It's about space-based manufacturing and procedures. Mm-hmm. And I remember when we launched Skylab in 74. We got them up there. And Skylab is huge. It's big as a gymnasium inside. And so the crew that we sent up were not pilots. They were medical doctors and research scientists. So that's good because they're very brilliant in their fields. Bad because they're not disciplined that well. So one of the doctors push off on one end of Skylab and heads to the other side. Hey, look, I'm Superman. Well, he's good as a medical doctor, but a lousy physicist. He forgot about inertia, momentum, and when you smack something, it's called kinetic energy. Well, mm-hmm. he hits all down there. He cuts his arm to the bone. Oh. Now, we never had anybody hurt like that before in orbit. So yeah. they, call, they call down to Capcom. I'm sitting right next to him. And he says, yeah, what's up? Uh, we, uh, you know, Frank done fooled around up here and cut his arm. 
we're all doctors. We're going to stitch him back up. He says he's not hurting. So I know it costs $2 billion to get us all up here. We'd like to go on with the mission. And Capcom's going, God, go on with the mission, you know? So uh, <laughs> they they went back to work. And then <laughs> three days later, we get another call from them. And they said, we need a private secure line for, um, so the box is only for personnel of Houston. So Capcom stands up, he's about the color of snow. And he looked at me and he said, God, they killed somebody up there now. I said, I, we don't know that, let's ask them. So we asked, what's up? And they said, we pulled the bandages off on this, on Frank's arm here. We were going to clean it and uh, see how the stitches are doing. All the stitches are stuck to the bandage. He's not even, he doesn't even have a scar. It's like he's never been cut. Wow. Three days later. And they went, what? And uh, <laughs> yeah. so after, after scrambling around a little bit, we finally was able to replicate what was going on up there. And we found out something. 23 things change in your body in a weakness kill environment. 23, you should know that number. Hmm. It's the number of chromosomes in your body that makes us all different so we don't, all don't look like Pee Wee Herman. God help. <laughs> so anyway, when the chromosomes unchain themselves from the field of gravity, the first thing that they grab hold of is the white corpuscles, your antibacterial defense system in the bloodstream. And it turns them into super white corpuscles. Mm. And they not only are stopping infection, they're doing a cellular tissue regrowth at a speed that we can't even calculate. Wow. So what are you talking about? I'm talking about that massive burn victim that yes. we've got up there in the space shuttle uh, hospital. They will, he or she will heal so fast. Yeah. They will heal without scar tissue, not enough time to form. Crazy. Think that's yeah. worth going for? Why are we not doing this? Why are we Why? not doing this? Nobody, you know what you did with the space shuttles? You took them all and shoved them into museums. Would you buy a brand new car? You know how much life was left on the space shuttle fleet? 66%. So would you buy a car, use it for 23%, 24%, and then you put it in a junkyard? Well, that's what you did with the fleet of shuttles. Wow. And successfully, you say, oh, private sector is going to take over and build it all. Where is it? Do you mm -hmm. see it anywhere? I don't see it. Mm -hmm. The private sector is not going to do a damn thing because it's been riding on the U.S. taxpayers' dollars to take the risks of R&D, and they're not going to reach out there and do this. Yeah. So you throw, you throw the shuttles into mothballs. Then mm. more, you know, bonehead uh, Obama gets up there and says, well, we should party. This is a great experience. Party mm. for what? You just shut down, and that you didn't just shut down the space hospital. You shut down seven other projects that I built waiting wow. to go. And what I'm telling you about is a little one. You want to hear about the bigger ones? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you. David, 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 wait. Before you go, I want to ask you a question. Can you yeah. see how blurry your image is? I don't know if you're being... If you're experiencing yeah. a little sabotage or I don't know what happened there. Yeah, well, you know what? I can build all this stuff, but I can't run a that's a okay. Successful um 
camera here. Let's see if we can make it focus. Hello. There. Uh, it's it okay. We were. It may rather, not. Have I'd rather enough. hear you. It's okay. It may not have enough light. Um, yeah, I'm kind okay. of blurry. Either that's my glasses. No, I think I am blurry. Um, no, I think it's okay. Okay, it must be on my so, end. I think. Yeah. So, what's the bigger project? Let's see if I can make myself bigger here. <laughs> See, I would have technicians by the hundreds around me. I'd go, fix that. <laughs> yes, understood. Um, but, man, some of the stuff that I'm talking about is, um, yeah. let's see, move the camera a bit. It's okay, David. That's okay. Yeah. I'd rather hear you. Oh, there, oh, there you go. There you go. There you, Yay. there you are. Yep. Hey, but now everything else fails, hit the damn thing. It might work. <laughs> <laughs> So um, anyway, that's, um, oh, there's so many things waiting for us out there. Yeah, now, before, we, before, before we do anything, I want to maybe uh, do a shout out to everybody that is watching and that telling them that for those of you that joined us late, we are talking with David Adair about the phenomenal scientific achievements that he has uh, worked on and are working on and will be working on. So nice. stay with us on this one because this one's gonna get good. And back to you, David. Well, um, y'all have heard of McDonnell Douglas, right? Aerospace Corporation, mm -hmm. multi-billion-dollar operation. Um, not exactly what you call a, you know, a, you know, a fly-by-night operation. Hardly. <laughs> well, they became one of my clients, and. <laughs> this was one of the strangest projects. The these medical doctors came up and they told me, David, we need help with an electrophoretic processor. Can you build one and work in orbit? I went, sure. But I got a question. What the hell is an electrophoretic processor? <laughs> so <laughs> they showed me one. It looks like an aquarium. It's got opposing fluids in it that's floating around. Looks like an old 60s lava lamp. You can fire an electrical charge through there. The electrons go in a straight line. The enzymes and hormones that are in there, they get the hots for the electrons and chase them like Pac-Man. And some run faster and others are slower. You get a layer effect. And that's how you separate enzymes and hormones here on Earth to manufacture vaccines and serums. Oh. Mm. Boy, don't that ring a bell. Mm -hmm. You know, coronavirus and all this stuff. So there's a big need for that. Mm -hmm. Well, in 1984, we sent, I built an electrophoretic processor. A guy named Charlie Bell, or no, wait. No, his name was uh, Walker, Charlie Walker. Charlie Walker built it for McDonnell Douglas. And um, they, uh, it worked really well. So I told Charlie, Charlie did a good job building that thing. Yeah, thanks. Uh, you're going to have to run it. Yeah, I'll, I'll run it for you. Well, you're going to have to go about 150 miles from where you're standing. Uh, oh, where am I going? Uh, next town over? Uh, no, uh, Charlie, you got to go 150 miles straight up. You're going to okay. become an astronaut. 
And after we got Charlie up off the floor, Charlie, <laughs> Charlie Walker became the first commercial private astronaut. Oh. In 1984. And you can look, it's, up, it's all up on the internet. It's under a, an entire brochure. It was made by McDonnell Douglas called the Electric Ferritic Processor, 1985. Type it in at, on the internet. Go read up on it. I'm not making this crap up, y'all. I've mm -hmm. done it. I'm telling you history. This is old yeah. stuff for us. So mm -hmm. we didn't build one. Hell, why build one? You can build two for the price of one. So we built two of the Electric Ferritic Processors. And the doctor said, there's something in that goo. We can fire a billion volts through there. It will never separate because of the gravity compressure fields of the earth while the electrophoretic processors are sitting in labs in hospitals. Hmm. But if you could build one that work on a space shuttle and plug into it, we could maybe get around that problem. So we did. And we did. And we didn't fly just on one. We flew it on Challenger, Atlantis, Columbia, um, Pathfinder, all of them. So Charlie got up there and he fired up the electrophoretic processor. And you can see pictures of this in the brochure that's on the line uh, on YouTube, I think. And you can watch the thing. So they fire it up. It clears to all the way to the bottom on the first pass of the first day. And the scientist said, there it is. That's what we've been looking for. So I look at it and I go, what? what is it? And they go, there are hormone crystals. Yeah, well, what good are they? They said, they're four times larger and 700 times purer than anything that ever existed on Earth. Okay, what does that mean? That means we can take these crystals, we can construct them in such a way that we can make a vaccine out of it well, what? You bring in a patient that's got this condition. We shoot them in the abdomen with it. The crystal goes straight toward the pancreas. And we'll cause the pancreas to start making beta cells on its own, curing what is normally known as diabetes. Yeah. What do you think that would be worth worldwide? Uh -huh. About a trillion dollars? Yeah. So... Yeah. I said, you're kidding. We have a cure for diabetes in these two machines up here. And they said, yeah. Well, hell, let's get started. We'll build an electric-free processor ions dedicated just to this process. Shuttles can come and go every six months and collect the material. And, and did you know a space shuttle could launch with 65,000 pounds of cargo in its cargo bay? Did you know that a space shuttle is just a glider, a 99-ton glider? But it can glide in and carry 37,500 pounds of products from space. Did you know that? No, nobody knew that. <laughs> we did. That built the shuttles. And what did you do with them? You put them in mothballs with no backup models to follow behind them. Oh, let's celebrate. Yeah, let's get drunk, which I did, and I shot my TV set. <laughs> Yeah. So I it's irritating for me, y'all. It's funny, but it's not funny because the electrophoretic processors just wasn't working on diabetes. There was another cell that we were working on, 
mm. a human cell, and it was very disruptive, but we could work at it at a DNA, RNA factor chain level while it's putting itself together, and it would tell us how to kill it at DNA. And mm. what's the name of the cell? The human cancer cell. Oh, God, there goes another $26 trillion. Yeah, we're going to do that. So you no. know what? You know what NASA told us to do with the electrophoretic processors? Pull them off the orbiters, wrap them up in plastic, put them in the hangar, and don't ever talk about this again. And I'm going, of course, I'm, I got a big mouth in the room. And I'm going, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> Why are we going to do this? And they said, you're over-industrializing space. And I'm going, Christ almighty, that's what we're hired for. We're space industrialists. We're, we're manufacturing products. Oh, let, oh, wait a minute. We're going to annihilate the entire pharmaceutical division yeah. of diabetes, probably all of cancer. Hmm. I guess we'll take out about $12 trillion of business. And I guess they got into your pocket at the Senate subcommittee, which runs NASA. So you probably put your hands in their pockets. And we're told we're over industrializing space. And now my two processors are gathering dust at this hangar. Yep. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, that's wrong. And yeah. that's now we've just talked about space hospitals and space, some of the space pharmaceuticals. Yep. And there's 1,496 other pharmaceuticals waiting to go. Yep. And you ought to see some of the stuff those things can do. Wow. Um, do you know what else the rapid cell growth could do? Well, we found out something. And it came from a kid of all things, a little third grader. <laughs> he asked me a question. He said, um, you know those glass lizards and snakes, they cut their tails off and they grow them back? Yeah. Well, why can't you do that with humans? And I went, oh, my God. What a thought. So I asked the medical scientists, and they looked at me, blinking their eyes, and they went, dear God, where'd you get this idea? I said, third grader. <laughs> so with these processes in place in a space hospital, a person comes up from Iraq. An IED went off, blew both his legs and arms off. He grows them back right to the fingernails. Oh, and think that'd be worth a couple bucks. Yeah, it would be to the soldier. So I was thinking, God, the things we can change. And then there's other areas, metals. You got any idea what I can do with metals up there? Well, let me tell you. Um, if you grab a, any type of piece of metal laying around the house, grab a silver wire for it. Look at it. Put it on an electron microscope. And you want the molecular structure looks like sheer chaos. Why? Because when the metal they were pouring, and at one time that fork was molten metal, when it's casted and molded in shape, here comes the gravity convection fields of the planet of Earth again. And they start tearing up the metals. How so? The best that you can get with compatible alloys here on Earth in a blend is 64%, and that's it. Oh. First thing I melted up there was aluminum and lead, the mm -hmm. lightest, heaviest elements of Earth, a 100% molecular blend. Well, 
what does that mean? That means we just opened the barn door to everything. So by blending other compatible alloys, and then I had a problem. I got this 2000 degree glowworm on board Skylab. Tell the astronauts, dump it out, and they do. And they're looking at it, they're floating. They're looking at this 2000 degree worm floating with them. And they're going, hey, Frank, don't let that get in your underwear. You sure ain't going like that. And then they asked us a really interesting question. David, we melted your metal. How do we handle it? Uh, can't pour it in anything. There's no gravity. Can't inject it. It would be out of shape. Suddenly, I'm faced with something called containerless processing. It's like trying to hammer jello to the wall <laughs> or shoveling smoke. It's a little yeah. difficult. So I give this talk to metaphysical communities. God bless them. <laughs> they look at this and they go, oh, well, we know what to do with that. I said, really? Well, I, I discovered what to do with it by accident. I said, I'm I think so. That, I think Wait, I what thought... do you do with it? Wait, yeah. okay, I want to hear what he did with it. <laughs> well, how are you going to shape metal in a weightless environment? It's the problem. So I said, uh, one of the astronauts was a little perturbed about the glowworm. He said, what if that glowworm goes over to the wall, melts a hole in the wall, we all look like linguini going out through a processor, and we're all going to be very unhappy about that. And I went, gee whiz, don't move around much. Let it cool down. So the astronauts were a little concerned, so they wanted to calm down. They plugged in some music. I think the guy was looking for something like um, Montrabani or Lawrence Welk or something easy going. <laughs> Ellie grabbed the tape, the wall by Pink Floyd, and throws it in. The vibrant rock and roll, the sound waves moved the metal everywhere. So I went, what? Wait. Give me a few minutes here. So I go to the lab and I build, I take a Moog, M-O-O-G, a Moog synthesizer, keyboard. Oh. I plug it in to this computer I built, which is a computational computer that will take, let me back up. For every shape in the known geometric universe, circle, triangle, square, rectangle, oblique, whatever um i'll get corresponding sounds to it mm. and I thought, oh boy we're on to something now so i go mm. and get a bar scanner out of the grocery store i think it was um kroger got it from anyway you scan what you're wanting to re replicate and it's sitting there and then in a six speaker sided box you got this 60s lava lamp stuff living in there. And you play the music. Mm. The sound waves come through the solution, hits the glob, and the glob becomes an absolute twin of what you just scanned. Wow. All within one one hundred thousandth of an inch controllable tolerance. One one hundred thousandth. Ball bearings, the best ball bearings on earth can't even get near half that. Mm. So... And then you remember the molecular structure of metal? I freeze the internal molecular structure of the metal in a pattern that, why reinvent the wheel? I copied honeycomb. 
Mother Nature, the oh. song, strongest structure known to humanity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I brought back a piece of metal that was no thicker than my fingernail. But on a shear load test, it had a thousand times the strength of titanium. It weighed less than styrofoam of the exact same size, and it's crystal clear. Trans steel of the 24th century. Hello. Wow. And what were we told? Stop making it. Put your machines away. Well, let me guess. We're over-industrializing again. Yes, you are. Well, let's Mm. see. I said, do you understand? (laughs) Before you throw this one under the rug, do you understand what's going with it? Like what? I can spin it down to a thread. So, your little girl's in the front yard playing with her toys. Bloods come in this way. Crips come in this way. They got territorial problems. They open up with nine millimeter blasts everywhere. Your daughter gets hit five times in the back by nine millimeters. She comes in crying because it felt like bee stings. She hands you these things that look like pennies. They're the flattened out nine millimeter slugs that hit her body armor that's machine washable. But no, we can't make that. How about earthquake-proof bridges and hospitals? I could do that with this stuff. I could go on for the next five days telling you things I could make. And I was told to can it. So it went. David, did you hear about um, that new hospital they built in La Jolla? It was supposed to be um supposed to be earthquake mm, somewhat safe have you heard about that no i'm not familiar with that it's i mean it's it's you know it's like spitting in the ocean compared to what you're talking oh. about but i was just curious i don't, yeah. doubt, I don't doubt that it is um it's yeah. amazing the amount of stuff i don't know <laughs> um yeah i, I stay very you know i keep buried in a lab and i crawl out and get sunlight once in a while so i don't look like a mushroom but uh, uh, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of current event stuff, I'm just not there. Well, I can't yeah. just, you know, a, what's wrong with you with this camera up here? Can't stay focused. Yeah, I think um, what, we, what we need to do is to see, too, that the attitude of the people that is supposedly at the top of the food chain in science, they need to change their attitudes a little bit so this can be implemented. Because you know what we they are. Did? I'll tell you what would be ideal. Show them this stuff that I'm doing. Show it to them in front of all the damn voters. Yeah. And let court, let the court of public opinion weigh in on it. They're yeah. going to say, why in the hell are you not working on this stuff? You complain about you don't have enough money, but this, this screwball over here named Adair can crank yeah. out a project and pay for everything in one project. And he's got about 10 of them. You know, What's the problem? Yeah. Well, it's because yeah. you got you got spineless, worthless leaders that let you know. Yeah, absolutely. Lobbyists to yeah. stick their hands in their pocket and kill everything for y'all. What do you yeah. think I'm building all this stuff for? It's not for me. Hell, I'm seventy years old next week. Um, Happy birthday! I'll just kill over, you know, and all this is going to go with me. And I said, because I didn't come here to build weapon systems. I came here to build mechanisms that would free you into yeah. Star Trek or whatever you want to envision it as. 
Yeah. And, and I know, I know you also have been working on uh, with some another government to possibly start, uh, well, a different form of space program. Oh <laughs> yeah, it, about, uh, about but that uh, could even involve going to the moon. And yeah. I know on on one of the shows you mentioned that there were twelve cities on the moon. NASA told you not to go to. Oh yeah. That there Talk are about that. Okay. There was um this group of I don't know who they are, one percenters, I guess. They yeah. were started off in Saudi Arabia, then we went to the Philippines, and then we went to Las Vegas. It was the same group, and well, God bless them. You know, I, I tell them, do you understand how much money I need to do what I want to do? But if you put it down, I would pay every penny of it back and you would make a fortune. But, you know, I'm talking like I need 50, 70 billion with a B to get started. Because one of the first things I have to do is order four new space shuttles. And if I would put an order in for that, that'd be the shot heard around the world. Because it would be in a lot of big groups, a no shit moment. Because that means I'm here I come with my own shuttle fleet. And my space shuttles would not look like the space shuttles. They put the mothballs. I would pull the original blueprints from Rockwell International of the original space shuttle we never got. We asked for a Cadillac and we got a Ford Pinto. Mm -hmm. My shuttles would immediately look different. I have slides of what my shuttle would look like. Um, The first thing you notice, air-breathing jet engines in the wings of the space shuttle. And you go, wait a minute. That means if you come in a rainstorm and you miss the runway, yeah, we just fly around and come back and land again. Damn, ain't that smart. Uh, the heat shield. There are 90,200 thermal tiles on each space shuttle. No two are alike, like snowflakes. On my new shuttles, zero tiles. One thermal blanket over the entire ship. Well, why didn't you do that in the beginning? Our technology wasn't up to it, but now it is. So my space shuttles would incorporate all the new technology. And it these shuttles would be fantastic. Um, I could go for days just telling you about that. Um, anyway, obviously, um, I know how to do this stuff. And there's something else I didn't tell you. Uh, Way back in 1983, 84, 84, I flew out to Downey, California, and Al Ogram, who's retired, he was um, the PR man of Rockwell International. So he told me, he said, when you come out here again on your work, could you come over to Downey? I said, sure. So I went to the Downey plant, walked into the big corporate room, walked in this one big corporate conference room, giant table seats about 100 people and there was all these people sitting at this table and i was asked to come in and i'm looking at them and i know their faces they are families of boeing lockheed martin general dynamics all those companies are not ran by corporations they are ran by families yeah and i looked at all of them and i turned down and i said did I do something wrong? Are y'all going to pop a cap in my ass? 
And it took them all to figure out what I was saying. And they started laughing. They said, no, we're just the opposite. We got something for you in the next room. I thought, I'm going to walk in there and they're going to shoot me dead and drag me in a plastic bag and I'm gone. So I said, what the hell? So I opened the door and I walk in. And the room is just filled with all these props and 3D models and blueprints and overhead projections and 3,000 slides. And I said, what is all this stuff? I said, it's all of our original business plans. And NASA doesn't like it. So we're going to give it to you. We're going to give them all to you. All the families are giving all the original business plans to you. You seem to have more luck than anybody getting through this stuff. And I'm going, God almighty, people. I said, it'd take an overseas container to get that home, and it did. I have all that in my my garage right now. That's amazing. You're amazing. And there's a There's a message in the chat room for you, and I would like to know if it's if it's um, if it's really a message for you and if it's meaningful. Um, It's from Holotech R&D. And the message is, hey, guys, tell David Smarty is watching and we are putting together. Never thought I'd see those two guys together. We're putting together a manufacturing facility where he can produce anything he wants. Does that make any sense to you? Oh, yeah. Sure. I, yeah, I've, I've got all the original business plans. All I need is the funding, and I would be a, a renaissance man. Mm-hmm. I would rebirth the entire space program all over again, and we go a mm-hmm. different way this time. He was talking about going back to the moon. Damn right to go back to the moon. Where am I going to go? The first 12 sites I'm going to are the 12 sites the NASA say we can't go to. Mm. You know, that big arch. You know, that big arch. Well, there's an arch on the moon. Uh, The arch in St. Louis is like 600 feet. This thing's three miles. Who the hell built that and for what reason? Exactly. Well, there's these big cannons and towers and things. It looks like a radar dish. Let's go see what that is. Let's walk up <laughs> on it and knock on the door. See if somebody's home. You know, it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. And people think the moon is a celestial body. It is not. Chris Kraft, not the guy that built the boats, but a former head of NASA. Look him up, Chris Kraft. He said it's a lot easier to describe why we shouldn't have a moon instead of having a moon. Yeah. That moon should not be there, y'all. Look at it. Mm. Compared to Earth, it's too big. The Earth does not have the gravitational mass, and I can prove it on a blackboard through celestial mechanics. We do not have the mass to capture a moon that big, much less <clears throat> captured in a, what we call a, um, Tidal drift. The moon does not spin in an orbit around us. One side faces us 24-7. No other satellite, no other moon in the solar system does that. And the cosmologists, not the hairdresser people, but the people that work in astronomy, They'll tell you the time when there was a sky in of Earth that had no moon. 
so much for the theories that something crashed in at the beginning of the Big Bang, blew a big chunk of the Earth out, and it became the moon. Mm. Yeah, well, if you believe that, let me tell you about Santa Claus and Bugs Bunny and, you know, Easter Rabbit and all that stuff. It's bull. It's not real. Somebody flew the moon here and parked it like an RV. And they've been there ever since. And I don't know who they are. I think Neil Armstrong had an encounter with them. And I think I figured out why we never went back. It's not some big conspiracy theory, all elaborate. You know what it's called? Littering. We left 400,000 pounds of junk on the moon. Wow. Rockets, nose cones, cameras. Pioneer One, remember them? Yeah. We went to the moon, bang, crashed. Junk still laying there. 96, 96 bags of astronaut feces. They had to drop it somewhere. So you throw that all over the moon, <laughs> plant a flag and saying, hey, I'm going to come back here and live. This and that's on your roof. That's on your roof. So you walk out to a crater, call an astronaut over here, a guy named Neil Armstrong probably, and say, you having a good time? Glad. Collect dust, pick up some rocks, take some pictures, then get the hell off our moon and don't ever come back because you're a bunch of pigs. Yeah. We got thrown out for littering. You know, so when I say we go back to the moon, I'm not joking about let's find a back door and knock on it and ask if we can come in there if you share it with us and we'll behave better. And a good thing that we do, we clean up all the crap we left on the moon, haul it out of there. And you take it back to Sotheby's and sell it through an auction and pay for the whole damn project. (laughs) That's funny. So we only have about three minutes left, David. Yeah. Yeah. I get get you. I get you. We have about three minutes left. And Augie usually has a question that he likes to ask our guests before we close. And Augie, you want to ask David? We would love to have you back, David. Oh, please go ahead. Yeah, that yeah, that definitely need to come back. Uh, I um, I, I'm gonna take. Yeah, I do want to ask you that question, but there's one more, just slight oh, thought. Oh, that sure I, what, is, what is? I like your question. Okay, uh, <laughs> maybe you could follow my thinking. I know the moon cannot theoretically possibly hold the orbit that it has. It cannot happen. Because right. we know the size size of Earth, we know how heavy it is, we know what the gravity it puts out, we know the size of the moon, the gravity it puts yeah. out, and yeah. the speed right. around. So right. it's too big to hold the orbit. But right. if there was a huge cavity inside of Earth and a huge cavity inside of the moon, then it could hold the orbit that it has. Otherwise, it needs to be about two-thirds further out. Am I Maybe, on to something here? Yeah, oh, oh, yeah, you are. Um, I hate this question that I'm about to ask. It comes up all the time at dinner. And they'll go around the table and they go, where were you when you were watching Neil Armstrong walk on the moon? And I thought, God, I hate this. The question <laughs> comes to me, and I have two options. One, lie and tell everybody. Mm-hmm. I was at home watching on TV with my parents. Or B, tell the truth. Uh, the truth is a little harder to grab, y'all. So um, I said, 
Well, I was in Stephan and Viola Armstrong. That's the name of Neil Armstrong's parents. I was yeah. in their home in Wapakoneta, Ohio, 45 minutes by car from my house. I was leaning back against Viola Armstrong's knees. And the seven Mercury astronauts were on the floor in front of me, and we were watching Neil walk on the moon. And when Neil was sleeping on the moon that night, I was sleeping in his childhood bed. Viola Armstrong was my surrogate mother. Wow. And yeah. so did I know Neil? Does the wild bear cramp in woods? Yes, I did. Um, yeah. What I learned, what happened... Viola was very shy and quiet, meek little lady. Oh, God, I love her. But she was made a dignitary mother, the first man on the moon, by Governor Gilligan of Ohio. We call it Gilligan's Isle. <laughs> anyway, um, her job was to hang medals around the winner's necks. And after about the sixth or seventh medal she hung in three weeks on my neck, she stepped back and looked at me. She goes, what are you doing, child? I said, I guess I'm a little busy. She <laughs> said, come over to my house and hang out with me. And I did. Best thing I ever did in my life. Yeah. And I wasn't there because she was the mother, the first man on the moon. I was there because she was teaching me how to can, you know, green beans, potatoes, even chicken. <laughs> and when we can there, Viola was in charge of the German co-op. So we didn't can three or 400 jars a season. We can that many in a day. We yeah. can like 30,000, 36,000 jars in a season. Yeah. And all I, the wives. I see now that we are totally running out of time, but uh, there is one more question I want to ask you, and that is one sure. that uh, is kind of blindsiding some of the guests, but it's a good one, and that is, okay. if you could speak to the whole world and the world is listening, what would you tell them? Forget about me. I'm not that important. I'm, I'm as common as dirt. Don't listen, don't pay attention to me. Listen to what I'm saying. Mm. Or move on these projects. That's uh, Congressman uh, Green, or um, no, he retired. Reed, he called me to come and testify at the congressional hearing. I said, no, I won't. And he goes, why? I said, I don't trust any of you. And I go, why? I trust you about as much as being a babysitter for my children. You're a Catholic priest. So he went, oh, you're hostile. Yes, I am. Do you all remember what the governor of Arizona did to those people at the Arizona Lights? We found the pilot of that ship, the big triangle lights, and the governor had a guy walk in in a rubber suit. He was a gray. And I thought, oh, that's really nice. You just trashed everybody. I can't wait to see what you're going to do in Washington. So what I'm, tell I'm telling you this for this reason. The pilot named David of the F-14 on the panel, he said, you got him on tape. He said, there's a UFO the size of an aircraft carrier. It's too big to move. We built a building around it. Why, <clears throat> I would ask the congressman, why did you not jump up out of your seat and go, take us to that building. Take us to that site. Let us see who's running it. Who's paying the power bill? You know, take the cameras yeah. in. Let everybody see this stuff. You're just listening. You're not doing anything. 
stop doing that. You got to start making things happen. the The world is circling a drain, y'all. Yeah, it's yeah. so unnecessary. It's so unnecessary. There's no reason for y'all to be in this condition. Um, yep. I had ability. I still have the ability to push all of you screaming and kicking yeah. into a Star Trek environment. Yeah, I think you're you know, right. It, we, are, we are done with the talking. Now it needs to be doing. Yeah, so so now I, have an just... I have an engine that can... It would take you... If you want to go to the, to the yeah, closest galaxy, we are totally light years. I could get you got, there in eight minutes. We got to have you back, David. We're just totally out of time. So... I am uh, I'm, I'm we, we will hope to have you back very soon. So uh, thank Hopefully you very much for us, being yeah. with us. Well, thank, thank you, you for having me on and uh, let me do Bullwinkle with Professor Know-It-All here. <laughs> really and, good, uh, really good. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Well, we'll thank have you. you back on really soon. And thank you, everybody, for being here. Thank you if you're watching on the replay. Hope your holidays have been lovely and I can't create in your world and you can't create in my world, but together we can create what we have in our mind, our intention for 2024 together. We can do that. So hold yeah. the vision guys. Much love everybody. We'll see you next week. Thank you.